You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks and welcome to episode 83 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host Bart Bouchotts and this is the show for August 2020. Well, it's a solo show this month, just a little old me talking to you and um, I've decided this is going to be another one in my sort of mini-series on jargon busting. I've been taking an awful lot of my photographs with my iPhone the last year or so, uh, really since upgrading to the iPhone 11 Pro I have become really quite enamoured with that three-lens camera, and it really is making me very happy a lot of the time. Uh, And something else I've been doing a lot more of than I ever thought I would is editing my photos in the phone. Um, I I take a lot of my photographs these days when I'm out walking, getting some exercise during these uh, COVID times. And, you know, I see some wildflowers that pique my interest, I take a picture, I edit it, and I post it to Twitter, all while on foot, all while walking. So I'm doing a lot of editing right there on the iPhone, not using third-party apps, but actually using Apple's built-in apps, because as of, you know, the the currently most recent iOS, the photo editor on the iPhone, and indeed the iPad effect is the same one, they're extremely powerful. Um, surprisingly so. And for the most part, my, my workflow is basically hit the auto button, which gets which, which isn't an opaque adjustment like it is or like it used to be in older versions. It all it does is it puts all the normal sliders that you get to play with anyway into what it guesses is a sensible position, and you can then nudge those sliders yourself. So you may second guess Apple's algorithm, and I usually do, um, and nudge it whatever way you like. Uh, so, you know, Apple may say, actually, you, you really want to brighten these highlights. And I'm thinking, no, no, I don't actually slide it back. All oh, the others stay in place. You know, so it's it's a nice way to sort of have your proverbial cake and eat it, um, where you get to have a helping hand to get started, and then you can nudge each of the adjustments. But one of the things that took me a long time to get comfortable with in iOS is the exact meaning of some of the sliders. So a lot of them are exactly what you would expect, right? There is an exposure slider. There is a contrast slider. There is a saturation slider. So that's all the kind of things you'd expect to see. But there's also a lot of them that sound awfully similar to each other that sound, frankly, synonymous with each other. I mean, really, what is the difference between exposure, brightness, and brilliance? It sounds like the same thing. But it isn't. It absolutely isn't. And uh, I thought it might be worthwhile dedicating this episode to explaining exactly what each of those sliders mean and how, even though they have similar names, they are actually different sliders that do different things and that you may want to use differently. Now, what's going to unify the vast majority of this episode together is we're going to keep referencing the histogram. So if you go back in time to episode 55, I described a lot of the standard sliders used in traditional photo editing apps. And to explain their purpose, I started 
by explaining the histogram. And I'm going to take a very similar approach to this installment, but I'm not going to spend as long talking about the histogram because we've kind of done that already. So instead, I'm going to quickly refresh your mind on the histogram. But if you want more on the histogram, and if you want to know more about what normal photo editing apps do, then I would definitely recommend listening to episode 55. Um, the reason I say normal is because Apple have chosen to be a little bit different to everyone else. And while there are a lot of the sliders you expect, like I say, exposure, contrast, etc., there's also a bunch of sliders you don't expect. And I guess to understand how the ones that aren't expected are different to the norm, maybe listening to the norm, as described in episode 55, could be helpful. So, quick reminder on the histogram. Imagine a photograph, any photograph. It has a whole bunch of pixels, and every pixel on that image has a brightness. If it's pure black, we'll call it zero. And if it's pure white, we'll inhabit an 8-bit world and we'll call it 255. And for every possible value between pure black and pure white, there is a value between zero and 255. So... If you count all of the pixels at 0, and all of the pixels at 1, and all of the pixels at 2, and all of the pixels at 3, and you keep doing that until you count all of the pixels at 255, and then you draw them on a very, very squished together bar chart, where you have 0 on the left and 255 on the right, you will then end up with a histogram. It will look sort of like you know, the equaliser on a music player, maybe, of old but it'll have a lot of bars. So it's a bar chart with 255 bars. And sometimes it's represented not as bars, but basically as a line connecting the tops of each of the imaginary bars. So you might see the histogram as a curve, not a curve, a very pointy line, a very jaggedy line. Um, But that's basically the tops of each of the imaginary bars in our 255-piece bar chart. Uh, And what you'll normally find is that there's lots and lots of pixels with sort of middling values, a few pixels on the dark end, and a few pixels on the bright end. So the normal shape is basically a mountain in the middle. And there's also some jargon that we should uh, remind ourselves of. So the pixels that are approximately near the middle of the histogram are referred to very imaginatively as the midtones. The pixels that have brightnesses near the bottom or the left of the histogram are referred to as the shadows. And the pixels to the other side, to the right, are referred to as the highlights. Now, Apple don't do this in iOS, but there are other photo editing apps that will also give names to the area between the shadows and the midtones and between the midtones and the highlights, and they'll be called the quarter tones. And so you have a quarter tone on each side, basically, of the midtones. But Apple don't do that, so that's just an FYI. Okay, so as we talk about what these different sliders do, I want you to keep the histogram in mind, because basically most of these sliders, not all, but a lot of these sliders affect the histogram. So let's start with the ones that most obviously affect the histogram, the ones related to exposure. And iOS provides actually quite a number of sliders that I would classify as related to the exposure. And I quibbled with myself a few times on how many there should be. 
But, you know, I'm going to count them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then there's kind of an arguable eighth. So let's call it seven. Anyway, there is all of these lighters. So some of them are what you would expect. And some of them are not. So we'll start simple. The most basic exposure-related slider is, in fact, the one labelled Exposure by Apple. And this is an extremely simplistic adjustment. So just imagine your histogram, and or imagine your pixels, and just increase the brightness of every pixel, or decrease the brightness of every pixel. So you basically slide the top of your histogram up or down, basically, is one way to sort of think of it. Um... You're just, you're shifting, well, it's not really up and down, it's left and right. So you're, you're basically, you're, you're increasing the brightness of every pixel. So the peak of your mountain moves to the right if you increase or to the left if you decrease. And stuff may fall off the bottom, left or right. So you may end up crunching your shadows or blowing out your highlights, depending on how you slide it. But basically, you're shifting the mountain left and right. Okay, so the next still very traditional slider that Apple provide on iOS is the contrast slider. And... Again, I would describe it as a blunt instrument, very much like I described the exposure slider as a blunt instrument. Um, The difference is the contrast slider is sort of mirrored around the middle of the histogram. So if you add more contrast, you darken the shadows and brighten the highlights. And if you reduce contrast, you brighten the shadows and darken the highlights. So you're doing the opposite adjustment on the left and right of the histogram. And the effect that will have is to make, you know, more of a difference between dark and bright areas of your image or less of a distance between dark and bright areas of your image. And that's what we call contrast. So it's not a particularly smart adjustment, but it's useful to get stuff basically in the vague right area. Now, the contrast and the exposure slider both affect every single pixel in the image, right? So... The exposure slider does the same thing to all pixels in the image, and the contrast slider treats half the pixels one way and half the pixels the other way, but it still adjusts every single pixel in the image. The next two sliders only work on some pixels. So they are effectively, they're half a contrast slider each, is one way you can think about it. So the shadows slider lets you control just the left-hand side of the histogram. So you can brighten or darken just the shadows. And its friend, the highlights slider, does the opposite thing, controlling the other half of the histogram, letting you brighten or darken just the highlights. And then the last sort of traditional slider that Apple provides is one called the black point. And what's very unusual about Apple's choices here is that the black point is usually part of a pair there's usually a black point and a white point slider. But Apple have only given us a black point. So you can think of the black point as being like a threshold. What you're saying with the black point slider is that everything below a certain adjustable threshold is to be converted to pure black, is to be shifted to zero. So one way you can imagine what that looks like is you have your histogram... And you take a slice out of the left-hand side of the histogram and throw it away. And then you take all the pixels that are left, and you take the histogram that's left, and you stretch it so that it fills the full space between 0 and 255 again. So 
a whole bunch of pixels get just converted straight to black and all the other pixels get adjusted a little bit to redistribute their brightness across the full range between 0 and 255. Uh, You can also go the other way, which is effectively shoving an extra slice of information into the left-hand side of the histogram, which initially sounds like magic. How can you add extra data from nowhere into the left-hand side of the histogram? Well, the reason is because the sensor in your iPhone can actually capture more information than can be represented by a JPEG. In other words, it has bigger bit bit depth than the photos that come out. And so there actually is data below zero. We just can't see it in the picture, but it exists in the file. So when you do a negative black point adjustment, you're basically saying, hello, data over here that has not been part of the photo but has been recorded come in, join the party, and now we readjust all the other pixels, we squish everything together to compensate for the fact that there's now a bigger range between 0 and 255. We could renormalize it, basically collapse it back into 0 to 255. So every pixel gets tweaked as we compress the histogram so it fits again into its 0 to 255 range. So it's not magic. It's pulling in data that the sensor has, but the photo isn't showing. Now, if there was a white point slider it'd do the mirror image of the black point slider, either adding in some extra data and then squishing the histogram to make room, or slicing off the data and then stretching the histogram to fill all available space again. But there isn't. So how do we make up for that? Well, you actually can work around it. It's just a pain in the backside. If you combine an exposure adjustment with a black point adjustment, you can simulate a white point adjustment. So you use the exposure to shift the entire mountain and then you use the black point to introduce the extra data or remove the data as appropriate to make room at the other end of the histogram. It's annoying to be flipping over and back and over and back. And I'm assuming Apple's logic is that on the whole, the black point is very useful because it allows you to get the shadows to look like shadows. So if, if your image's black point is off, shaded regions won't look black. They'll look sort of a dullish colour, sort of a muddy colour, a, a, a muddy shade, not a colour. So it's not about the colour, it's about the shade. They won't be inky black like they should be. And that happens a lot. Whereas on the other end, what you're doing usually when you're making a white point adjustment is intentionally blowing out the highlights to give the so-called high-key effect. And that's just way less common. And if you want that effect, you can probably get it using one of the filters or the studio lighting effects. This is basically some of the fancy stuff. So you probably don't... In reality, it's probably not a very commonly used slider. And Apple basically decided... There's enough sliders already to confuse people, so why bother adding an extra one that we know or we think doesn't get used a lot? I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess as to what's going on. Anyway, the black point is for thresholding what counts as black. Okay, so that covers the five traditional histogram-affecting, brightness-affecting sliders. But we have two more. We have brilliance and brightness, which, again, they sound awfully synonymous with each other. Well, these two are smart adjustments. 
they're basically more intelligent adjustments that have only come into vogue more recently as computers have gotten better at being computers. So these are the opposite. I would see these as being much better, more more nuanced tools than the blunt instrument that is contrast or that is exposure. Um, we'll take them in turn. So while they have similar names that boats are B or they are actually quite different. Let's start with brilliance. And there's a bit of a mnemonic here to help you remember what brilliance is because its icon looks like a yin and yang logo. So basically wavy versions of a semicircle in black and a semicircle in white. And the traditional icon for contrast is a circle that's half black and half white. So yin and yang is like a wavy version of a contrast logo. Icon, sorry. And that's because brilliance is effectively intelligent contrast. So when you add brilliance, you do darken the shadows and you do brighten the highlights or vice versa. But unlike with a traditional contrast adjustment, you get the changes in the brightness of the image with fewer negative side effects. So detail will tend to get protected so it won't get smushed out. And most importantly of all, the colour is preserved because when you make a traditional contrast adjustment, it actually messes with the colours in your image. Um, If you reduce contrast, you immediately wash out all the colours. And if you increase contrast, you can basically end up over-egging all the colours and making them unnatural, too heavy, too overdone. Uh, Whereas the Brilliant Slider has the intelligence to tweak the brightness of the image without affecting its colour saturation. So Brilliance is basically smart contrast, and you'll recognise it as such because its icon looks like a wavy version of the traditional contrast icon. So that then brings us to our final adjustment here, which is the brightness adjustment, and its logo looks like the sun. And that's because its most common use is to basically add in some sunshine where none exists. So it's like a traditional um, exposure adjustment, except that it only affects the shadows and the midtones. It leaves the highlights alone. And... What that is really useful for is an extremely common situation, especially here in Ireland, where you have a sort of a, a mixed cloud kind of a day. So there's parts of the landscape are in shadow and there's parts of the landscape are in sun and the sky is full of a mixture of cloud and not cloud. And so there's definitely bright, fluffy bits with lots of detail and highlights and there's darker bits up there too. And if you do a traditional uh, exposure adjustment to brighten up the shaded landscape, you'll lose all the detail in the sky. If you use a shadows adjustment, you'll end up with no contrast and the mid-tone's still all wrong. So you could adjust the shadows and slide up the exposure and then pull down the highlights. Then you're now into three sliders and you could sort of kind of simulate the effect. But the brightness slider simply allows you to do all of that in one step. So just slide the brightness up and you will increase the midtones and the shadows without messing up your highlights. So on a semi-overcast day, the sky stays properly exposed, but the dark parts of the landscape 
are brought back up, as if you're basically shining the sun onto the bits that aren't in sunlight, hence the icon being a little sun, is my logic to it. That's how I also remember it. Brightness means filling in the sun, and brilliance means better contrast. So, for now, we're going to put the histogram aside and look at the sliders that affect the colour in our image. So, when it comes to controlling colour, we have the traditional tree sliders we would expect in any photo editing app. And we have an extra one, which, of course, we'll talk about in detail after we've looked at the more traditional ones. So... We'll start with the basics. There is a saturation slider, and it does what you would expect in any traditional photo editing app. It intensifies or unintensifies the colour. So if you slide it all the way to zero, you end up with a monochrome image. Slide it the other way, you end up with really unnatural colours. But that's basically what it does. Add more or less colour intensity into every single pixel in your image. So like the exposure slider affects every single pixel, the saturation slider affects every single pixel, which makes it a very blunt tool. And when you have to be extremely careful with, especially if you have human beings in your photograph, because with the saturation slider, you very, end, very, very quickly end up with basically oompa loompas with skin tones that are just completely wrong. So bear that in mind for a moment. But anyway, that's what saturation slider does. It just adds more or less color intensity to the entire image. Now, the other thing that every photo editor will let you do is to correct the colours in your image by shifting them along two orthogonal axes. Fancy word, that. Orthogonal just means at right angles, too. So if two lines are parallel, they will never meet. And if they're at orthogonal, they're like a cross. They meet exactly once and they meet at exactly 90 degrees to each other. So the reason that you have two sliders is so that you have control over the entire colour wheel. So if you draw out the colour wheel and you mark on its edge red, blue, cyan and magenta, you'll find they make a cross. So if you imagine it as a, as a traditional analogue clock, you would have, say, red at noon. You would have, I think it's cyan at three, blue at six and magenta at nine. So if you draw a line from red to blue, you get a vertical axis. And if you draw a line from blue, to, from sorry, from cyan to magenta, you get the horizontal axis. So, traditionally speaking, the horizontal axis, the cyan magenta one, is named tint in every photo editing app I've ever used. And Apple went with the tradition here. So, in the iOS photos slash camera app, when you edit an image, there is a slider called tint. And it does exactly what you think. It nudges the color along the horizontal axis on the color wheel, so making it more cyan which is basically an off green or more magenta which is basically an off purple so you nudge your slider between an icky green and an icky purple but you're nudging the color so it's not you know if you had something that was pure white you it would go pure magenta but anyway it's a nudge of the color and nudge is a good word for these sliders um these color shifting sliders, generally speaking, you want to use them to compensate for weird light. So maybe they're fluorescent lights instead of natural light or whatever. So you want to be gentle with the color sliders, I will say. And the more you increase the saturation, the more important it is that you get these color sliders right, because the saturation will amplify the wrongness of the color. So you've got to be very 
so the more saturation you have, the more accurate you have to be with the tint slider and its friend we're about to talk about. So the other axis, the red-blue axis, the vertical axis in the colour wheel, is usually in all the other apps I use referred to as the temperature slider. And there's some accompanying jargon with redder colours being described as warmer and bluer colours as cooler. Uh, Apple kept the metaphor, but they didn't keep the name temperature. Instead, the slider is called warmth. So if you slide to the left, you get negative warmth, which is, I guess, coolness, which is blueness. And if you slide to the right, you get more warmth, which is the traditional redness. So it's still your standard red-blue slider, which you would usually see labelled as temperature, but now it's labelled as warmth. So, like with the first collection of sliders, these initial three sort of traditional sliders affect every single pixel in the image. And they're blunt tools. Well, there is one colour-related adjustment left to talk about, vibrance. And like brilliance and uh, brightness, vibrance is one of these modern intelligent sliders. And so it doesn't affect every single pixel. It's more selective, it's more careful, it's more clever. So in this case, it's a smart version of saturation. So it does two things differently to a traditional saturation slider. The first thing it does is it protects the skin tones. So yes, it will let you make the skin tones a little bit more intense, but as you slide the slider further, it sort of presses pause on the intensity of the skin tones while letting the other colours in the image become more and more vibrant, more and more saturated, more and more intense. But it protects those skin tones. So what that means is you can make the grass look greener and the sky look bluer and not turn your granny into an Oompa Loompa. And on the whole, that's quite a good thing. The other thing it does is it protects any colour that's already very saturated. So if you have a blue sky that's already really blue, and if you slide the saturation slider, it will become too blue. It will become ugh. Well, with the cleverer vibrance slider, if the blue's already very intense, it will be left alone. And the other colours that are not the skin tones will get more and more bumped up. And you can also do a negative adjustment, which again will stop the skin tones from becoming too pale and will stop any colour from becoming too undersaturated. So it's just a cleverer version of saturation, which stops you from hitting the extremes and stops you from messing up the skin tones. So that covers sort of most of the sliders I really wanted to talk about, because the remaining four sliders frankly, are the same as they are in other apps. But for completeness, let's do them anyway. And actually, the first two we want to talk about, they're really common, and Apple does exactly what you would expect with them. But the thing is, a lot of people don't know what to expect from these two because they sound synonymous again. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about sharpness and definition. And these are two very different things, even though at a sort of an emotional level, they do have a quite similar effect to each other. They both make the image look clearer. They both add clarity, 
but they do it in very different ways. And in fact, both of them add clarity by increasing contrast, but not contrast over the whole image. Very carefully chosen contrast. So let's start with the sharpness slider. So there's actually, that's a very specific mathematical algorithm. It's ironically called an unsharp mask, even though its function in life is to make things more sharp. Whoever was responsible for naming the unsharp mask, you didn't do a good job, but that's beside the point. The effect of an unsharp mask is to adjust the contrast, but only on pixels adjacent to edges. So if there's an edge in your image, there's basically a sudden change in brightness as an edge. If there's an edge in your image, then the contrast on either side of the edge is boosted, but only on either side of the edge. And so the effect that has is to make the edges crisper, to make the edges stand out more, to really emphasise the edges. Now, this is a dangerous slider in the sense that there's not much room between, ah yes, that's clearer, to, oh my god, you've got artefacts everywhere. It's a slider to be very, very judicious and gentle with. A little bit of sharpness makes a positive difference. A little bit more than a little bit, and you're into trouble territory very, very quickly. Okay, so that's sharpness. So what's definition? That just sounds like a synonym for being sharp, being well-defined. Well, definition is sort of the eighth slider I sort of think you you could arguably group among the exposure sliders. Because definition is smart contrast. And what do I mean by smart? Well, what I mean by smart is that it's contrast, but only in the middle of the histogram. It's sometimes also called mid-tone contrast. So we're back to our friend the histogram. And what we're going to do is we're going to completely ignore the shadows and the highlights. We leave those pixels alone. And what we do is we darken the darker half of the midtones and we brighten the brighter half of the midtones and so that has the effect of adding more contrast to the to the bits of the image that aren't very black or very white and that just makes everything clearer it, and if you do the opposite it's actually really obvious what it's doing so if you slide that um, definition slider negatively, it looks like you're bringing mist across your scene because mist effectively reduces the contrast in the midtones. Well, definition controls the contrast in the midtones, so if you reduce it, it looks misty. And if you slide it the other way, it basically acts as a demister and pulls mist out. So if you have a hazy sky or a hazy landscape because you're looking far into the distance and it's a hazy sort of day, the definition slider can remove that sense of haziness by adding back in local con- or mid-tone contrast that was lost by the weather conditions. But it's just, for an image to feel crisp, you actually need sharp edges and good contrast in the mid-tones. In other words, what you need are the sharpness and definition sliders. So at this age, we really are in the, oh, well, look, if we've looked at almost every single slider in the place, why not round it out and collect them all? Let's be completest here. So the two remaining sliders are very different to each other. There's no real way of describing them relative to the histogram. That's just not what they do. But let's talk about them anyway. The first is noise reduction. 
This is this slider is most notable in the sense that it's one of it's the only slider that only goes one way. You can reduce noise, but you can't increase noise. Which you might say, well, of course you can't, Bart. But actually, there are algorithms for putting artificial noise into images. So arguably, you could connect a noise reduction slider to a noise and reduction slider to make an image look grainy. But Apple chose not to do that. So noise reduction is a black art. Apple throw a whole bunch of machine learning at it. And Apple's algorithms are pretty decent. But this is another one of those sliders you use judiciously because a little bit of noise reduction makes your image look better and a little bit too much makes your image go all artifacty and weird and ugly and ick. So be very judicious with this one-way slider. And then the last slider is a purely artistic one. It's not correcting anything. If anything, it's uncorrecting. And it's the vignette slider. And it does go both ways. So if you slide the vignette slider to the right, it will darken the edges of your photo. And if you slide it to the left, it will brighten the edges of your photo. Um, You might want to brighten them to give them that old-timey look because old-timey photographs often fade towards the edge. Uh, And you might want to slide the other way to darken, which is more traditional, to make the centre of the image more eye-catching by literally dimming the edges. Um, particularly if you're taking pictures of flowers or insects or small things where you're right up close, um, a little bit of vignette can go a long way to subtly push the eye towards the middle. Very careful, though, because if you overdo it, and basically a a good vignette is not obvious to someone who's not looking for it. A bad vignette, people look and go, oh, look, there's a vignette and a half. Whereas a good vignette, you won't notice it, but you will find the centre of the image is more eye-catching than it would have been otherwise. And so another one of those sliders where maybe less is more. But I actually use the vignette slider an awful lot in the stuff I post to Twitter because I'm taking pictures of flowers and butterflies and things like that. And a little bit goes a long way. It can actually be quite nice to help draw the eye to the flower or whatever. So there we go. That covers our sliders. Most of it's by the book, but we do have a couple of special cases to try to remember. So the most important are brilliance and brightness, with brilliance being smart contrast, brightness being exposure, but only in the shadows and the midtones. And then we have our vibrance slider, which is basically smart saturation, protects the skin tones and stops overly saturated colors from saturating even more. And then we have sharpness and definition. Sharpness makes the edges stand out more and definition adds mid-tone contrast without messing with the highlights and the shadows. Well, I hope you found that useful. Um, I hope you're taking lots of fun photographs with your phone because let's face it, the camera you have with you is the best camera out there. And uh, I'm going to draw a line under it for today. Before I go, just to say that I have actually been sort of kind of reading off detailed show notes. I usually just write bullet points for myself, a little bit, you know, behind the scenes stuff. It's usually just bullet points for these solo shows. But I actually decided to write this out as a more traditional blog post. So that will be available as show notes over at lets-talk.ie. So while you're there enjoying my writing, um, you can see in the left sidebar there will be a collection of big blue buttons under a heading support the show. First and foremost, lots of you have made use of those buttons over the months and years. And it's only because lots of you have done so that this show continues to exist because there are no sponsors. There are no advertisers. And at the moment, I'm a point in my life where 
I can't afford this podcasting shenanigans to be a cost to me. I would do it for fun. And there were times when income was a bit freer, where I did it for fun, and it cost me money, and I just thought that was grand. I didn't care. But that's not where I am in 2020. So at the moment, I need podcasting to break even. I don't... This isn't an attempt to get rich quick or at all. Um, If it was, it would be quite the failure. Uh, But I do need it to break even. And thankfully, that's approximately where we are. And that's entirely down to all of you who have supported the show throughout the years. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing so. Um, it's, It's a show of support for what I do. And it makes it possible for me to keep yakking into my mic and sharing it with all of you guys. So... How can you support the show? Well, for a start, and this is especially important to mention in these COVID times when a lot of people are suffering financially, you can actually support the show without spending any of your own money if you simply spread the word, right? You know, they say that, you know, a small percentage of your audience contributes financially to your podcast. Well, if you make my audience bigger by telling your friends, then the pot gets bigger. You know, a small percent of a bigger number is a bigger number. So just sharing the podcast, while you might think it doesn't help pay the bills, it actually does help pay the bills. So just tweet about the show, share it on your social media of choice, tell your friends in physically distant real world. That helps, and I appreciate everyone who spreads the word. You know, Thank you very much. Uh, you can also review the show in your podcatcher of choice, and it has a similar effect. Then we come to the two most practical ways of supporting the show. If you want to be one of the people who supports the show month in, month out with a small dollar donation, that's what Patreon is for. So its structure is designed to make it possible to make small, regular, small dollar donations without PayPal getting it all in fees. Basically, it's an efficient way for everyone to give a small amount. And what's wonderful about the Patreon money is that it's a reliable source of income. I have reliable bills. I have reliable income. I pour one into the other. Ta-da. That's what we want to get to, right? Those two should break even. Um, And so you pledge a dollar amount on Patreon. Um, There are exactly two shows every month. So if you'd like to give me a fiver a month, donate two fifty. If you'd like to give me $2 a month, donate $1 per episode. You get the idea. Then there is the PayPal button. And the PayPal button is fantastic for throwing me a once-off donation. And while the Patreon is for paying the regular bills, the PayPal money is for all of those non-recurring expenses, like, for example, the very pretty microphone I'm talking into, which is hanging off a lovely boom arm, which is keeping it floating in front of my face, where it should be. And all of that is connected to my iMac, which is running some recording software, which is paid for through donations. And when I'm done recording it, I'm going to run it through a whole bunch of other pieces of software to convert it from a raw recording into a finished podcast. And that software, too, was paid for from listener donations. So the PayPal button is basically for helping you buy the software and the hardware that makes the show go for for the non-recurring th- expenses that do indeed crop up from time to time. Um, I just use some donation money to upgrade an app I adore that really makes it easier for me to record podcasts called SoundSource. That's just gotten updated to version 5, and I have used PayPal money for that. So again, if you'd like to throw a one-off donation, PayPal's a very efficient way of doing that. And then there's affiliate links for those of you nerdy enough to need to register domains, hover.com, and for those of you who need Linux virtual machines and databases as a service and all those kind of things, and that's DigitalOcean. 
Right, I'm going to stop yammering on. Um, You will find the detailed show notes and the buttons for supporting the show at lets-talk.ie. Until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the geekiest show ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome.